0: Hello and good day, beautiful podcast family. Always a privilege and honor to be with you. We've got another fantastic episode of the show for you today. We have David E. Martin from Plandemic 2 back on the podcast. If you have not watched Plandemic 1, if you have not watched Plandemic 2, which is arguably even better because David Martin breaks the whole thing down from a high uh, a high overview, and all of it is easily verifiable, nothing you can fact check um, that doesn't turn out to be true. It is all simply verifiable and um, irrefutable evidence. So in this episode, we talk about... Um, His communication system, how he gets all of this information is really fascinating. We talk about the World Health Organization, Uh, The story of J.P. Morgan, the reset button, how tyranny starts with subtle trades, federal agencies funding Facebook, going back to the Knights Templar, how our monetary systems work, the patenting of the coronavirus, the genocide of Papua New Guinea, um, the solution for abuse and why COVID is a blessing and so much more. So this is a fantastic episode. I invite you to watch this one, Plandemic 2. Also check David out on London Real. Make sure to follow him on YouTube because he is putting out a lot of critical information. So please share this episode as far and as wide as you can. Um, Tag me on Facebook and Instagram and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And also leave a review on iTunes if you want to support the show. That's really helpful. Also, thank you to all my patrons. Um, Consider becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. Tossing a buck in the bucket would really be helpful. And because I'm getting shadow ban, banned and deleted and things like that. Uh, Go over to Linktree forward slash Matt Belair and you're gonna find a Telegram and a Discord and other channels. I'm trying to bring it in more in-house because it is pretty intense out there with the banning that is going on right now. A lot of people out there, including my peers, Joe Martino, uh, even Robert Kennedy Jr. Sayer G from Greedman Info. So many people are just getting censored. So uh, sign up for the email list at mattbelair.com. Best way to uh, stay in touch is, is direct through email. What else? Uh, For those of you guys who want to learn a step-by-step master system for overcoming self-sabotage, strengthening your connection with spirit and designing the living, the life of your dreams, check out the absolutely amazing Soul Compass course that is currently free within the Academy. I'm going to be doing it as a standalone course soon. It is the distillation of the 400 episodes and traveling the world. Spending so much on personal development in a very simple way to get clear on who you are, what fulfills you, and some principles for creating your life purpose and and really encompasses peak performance, spirituality, and personal development all in a very simple solution. And if you want to go even further than that, you want to sign up for some one-on-one coaching with me where we can work step-by-step, step, one-on-one for designing an inspiring, incredible, fulfilling vision designed by you, creating the structure around making that happen and and making it a reality, um, go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and would love to work with you. And so I think that wraps it up on um, the best way to support the show is doing one kind act wherever you are in the world, just do one kind act for another human being. It's the best way to support the show. And so that wraps it up. Let's get into it. Uh, first, let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, inspiration, and ready to take on this amazing episode with David E. Martin. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest has been taking on white collar crime for over 20 years and is the star of the mega viral documentary Plandemic 2, where he exposes the players behind the global pandemic. He is the developer of the first innovation based quantitative index of public equities. He has also developed a technology which deciphers the intention and motivation of communication, a technology that has impacted and saved the lives of billions. Welcome back to the show, David Martin.
1: Matt, thank you and thank you for the journey that you unleashed (laughs) on your show a couple months ago. Man, it has been what a ride and big, big, big thanks to you, man.
0: Oh my pleasure. Well, I'm glad I got to chat with you and just kind of observe it and be like, holy smokes, that was a that was a rocket ship. And you know, your information and what you're putting out there is so interesting. I remember the first time we chatted, I was trying to understand your quantitative whatever system you have. And after listening to you on London Real and watching the Plandemic Two documentary, um, I understood it a bit more. But it's really incredible the information you're getting. Everything that you, that you're sharing is documented. you nothing yeah. is conjecture. This is, yeah. you can prove it with a paper trail and that's the most important thing. And so I'm wondering if you could just start there and put it in simple terms, how that technology works. And as well as the one with, um, uh, the intention behind communication, yeah. that's
1: brilliant. So, so Matt, the easiest way to think about this is you have been um, you know, at a TED Talk, or you have been at a at a presentation, or you've seen a politician get on stage, and you know, within about five seconds, whether they are just going off the cuff and extemporaneous, or whether they are reading from a teleprompter. And And you also know your brain can tell you, hey, hold on a second, I don't think that's that guy's words or that woman's words. I think they're just reading from a script, like every single newscaster where you sit there going, you know, they, they, they read a story about, you know, some horrific thing, zero affect, zero, like no emotional response. So your brain has the ability to detect whether or not the linguistic fingerprint of what you're hearing matches a particular behavior and you can sit there instantaneously your brain goes oh they're reading that to me that's off a of script or that's coming off the cuff or that's somebody else's words being parroted through a third person right so 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 every in every communication signature has one of three variants you're either the originator like this conversation right now okay you're riffing i'm riffing and anybody listening to it can go, I know Matt wasn't reading a script, and I sure as hell know Dave wasn't reading script. So we, we know that we could be an originator, or we could be a propagator, where it's not our words, or it's not extemporaneous, we're actually reading from a script. Now, that script may be ours, and it may be somebody else's. But you would know very quickly by listening to me, you'd be, you'd be able to know really quickly whether you're going, hold on a minute, I know Dave. And I know that's not sounding like him. So you could actually in your brain, tell the difference between me that you expect to hear and me that you're hearing. And you could go, hold on a minute. I'm not sure that's him. And then the third layer is what's called a manipulator. So you got the originator, the propagator, and then the manipulator. The manipulator is when you are a spokesperson for someone else's message. Now, Way back when when I started looking at the whole prospect of how to understand language. And by the way, when when I talk about going back, my mother was a classic linguist. And one of the things we learned very early on was how to translate ancient Greek into English because she was obsessed with translating the Bible. And one of the things you find out is that the idea of translation is a really fascinating one because you find out that the intent of communication if we think about language in the most innocent way, we go, oh, we're trying to be understood. But that's not really true because what communication really is, is a way to reinforce the encoding of a tribal signature. You know, I'm using the English language, but by using the English language, I am now making my message inaccessible to potentially a Spanish speaker, a French speaker, or a Russian speaker. Now, I'm not doing that because I don't want them to understand. I'm doing that because I'm facilitating conversation in this community. But if I wanted to switch into Spanish, which I could do, I would actually be intentionally enciphering a message to get to another place. The thing that your brain has always been able to do, Matt, is what our computers do. Our computers look at communication and we can tell the difference between an originated, a propagated, or a manipulated signal. And we go back to the 18th century. So 1786 is when our data starts. We have shipping records, sovereign decrees, patents, contracts, trade agreements, treaties, patents, copyrights, trademarks. We've got it from 168 countries with data that goes back to the 18th century, so 1780s. And we have monitored all forms of human communication in every language across all of the globe. And we have deciphered how to tell the difference between a message that you came up with because it was your idea, a message you came up with because you heard it from somebody else, or a message you didn't come up with, but you manipulated or propagated through your network.
0: Holy crap! <laughs> that's amazing. And so, is it? Is this the same system that weaves in with the patents? And so, that's yeah. when you watch Pandemic Two and you uh, listen to the interview in London Real, you have it all documented. You basically expose Moderna, the vaccines, everything, um, yeah. and it's all on public
1: record. You're not. It's yeah. it's there to be found. Yeah. Remember, public records a funny thing. Just because it's hard to find it, doesn't mean it's not public. You know, we we've adopted this narrative <laughs> in our society that. If it isn't the first page on Google search, you know, then it doesn't exist. And the fact of the matter is Google is a curation engine, not a search engine. And people need to understand it never has been a search engine. It's never been the replacement for the card catalog in the library. We think of it that way, but that's because they're they're seducing us to thinking that based on the retrieval and the speed and, and they tell you, oh, my God, there's, you know, two and a half million pages that came back and we're showing you The first 30. Right. So we think, oh, my gosh, it must have been comprehensive. It must have found everything. Well, the fact of the matter is Google doesn't find everything. And more importantly, it never has been a search and retrieval process. It has been an interrogate and curate process, meaning it's about mind control. Wow. Well,
0: you know, there's definitely a lot of information out there that's just showing now. You, the information can be for the highest bidder, so it yeah, can yeah. be it can be bought, and that's you explain that in your butterfly of the week today. And I've looked into this. You call it the corporatocracy, and this is essentially when when people are bought out. Yeah, and they're in public office, which yeah. has happened before. And it's not the craziest concept to wrap your head around. Um, no. But then when the plan starts to get executed, that's where people think like, how can how can something this big be executed? Well, when you look at the pharmaceuticals, and they're the number one lobbyists in, in the government, and they're also the number one advertisers on uh, television, and then you bring in a uh, big tech and how they're censoring everything that's not World Health Organization, um, it it becomes very obvious. Now, one thing you haven't talked about too much is the World Health Organization, or that I've heard anyways. Uh, World Health Organization seems to have a a big connection with China, also a big connection with uh, Gavi and the Gates Foundation and the whole um, vaccine world. And I'm just curious uh, what your thoughts are on all that.
1: Well, listen, the World Health Organization has for a very, very long period of time been the multilateral agency of control, and specifically of control of very specific agendas. The World Health Organization has always been for sale to the highest bidder, and when it once upon a time served the U.S. interest to be the highest bidder, we were the highest bidder, and we pushed our, you know, drugs, and we pushed our our pharmaceuticals, we pushed our vaccines, we pushed our medical technologies and devices out through World Health Organization, and when China... started you know getting to its global hegemonic position in in global trade and influence they bought it out and and you know the worst thing about world health organization if you really examine it was not unlike the 1971 decision that nixon made to open up foreign debt purchases to basically an open throttle Um, world health organization did the same thing they made themselves for sale to the highest bidder which is how the Gates Foundation, and Gavi, and all of these kinds of of quasi-public interests. But they're not public interests. They're private philanthropies guised as philanthropies, which are, in fact, promoting third-party agendas. And, And the World Health Organization, as any other multilateral agency, is going to actually be entirely beholden to the capital that flows into it. They are not going to take a position that actually angers their financial sponsors. And in the case of the World Health Organization, really by two thousand, when Millennium Development Goals came out, the World Health Organization was sold. Um, there has not been a legitimate clean operation out of there since two thousand and since the Millennium Development Goals.
0: Well, there's a there's a lot of things I'm super curious about your insights on. So one of the one of the things that I see that's happening is a lot of people are kind of waking up to this, whether you investigate one thing, it opens up that rabbit hole. You maybe you get really sick and you start looking into things, something with vaccines, or you, you lose your job from COVID. Then you start questioning things and you, you realize something doesn't add up. Then you start looking how deep the rabbit hole goes. And you start learning about all of these horrendous things on the planet. And, it, it can feel hopeless, and I feel like yeah. being hopeless is not the space that we want to be in. And so, when I look at things like the Rockefeller banking, and I, my original inquiry to myself was, Why do we start war and how the heck is there starvation? If there's so many multimillionaires, rice is not that expensive, and we can give them some rice. And so, you look at uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, how countries are yeah. taken over, how people are deliberately um, harmed in, in various ways, it can be uh, very crushing, soul crushing. And now when you see the polarization, right? Uh, Trump is the worst. Trump is the best. Biden is the worst. Biden's going to save us. Uh, whatever the case is, you know, you can't say anything now. It's so politicized. Black Lives Matter. Then you got George Soros. But when you add in this information um, and you see it with with more, I just say more light, you have more context, then it can allow you to make a better choice. But you can you can't even speak up sometimes because people are just waiting to bash your head in with uh, PC police and all that kind of stuff. And so my question to you is, uh, are you hopeful and, and how do we go up against these people that do have established positions in, in very powerful places?
1: Yeah. So, so um, if you, if you read my book, lizards eat butterflies, you'll find out that I go on a rant about faith, hope, and belief and and i'm not big on any of those terms and the reason i'm not is because i live in a certainty so i don't have hope i have certainty and here's the certainty i know that that which is done for covert gain and in secret one day collapses on itself like every death star that you've ever seen in any star wars movie The great news is they think they've got their game all worked out, but then something always is overlooked. And the great news is history proves out that nefarious actors, while they have their day, so let's not minimize it, right? They have their day and it works for a while. But the great thing is every tyrant falls, every tyrant falls, not some, they always do. And you know, I, I remind people that in 1913 and 1914, if you would have said J.P. Morgan was going to be felled by a congressional inquiry, people would have gone, oh, no, 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 J.P. Morgan, he's, he, he's, he's untouchable. There's no way. There's no way that that could happen. I mean, here's a guy who controls railroads and banks and insurance companies. There's no way he could be felled, except the Morgan Trust refers to the Peugeot committee investigation is what probably stressed him to the point of killing him. you know here's a guy you know he puts his pants on one night at a time now he does terrible things once he puts his pants on and he may have done terrible things with his pants off who knows but what I do know is that when investigations really opened up the stress of him knowing that he was doing things that were inhumane and that we're unjustified, and that we're based on greed and intolerance and entitlement and all of the things that are anti-human, it cost him his life. And so when I look at where we are right now, I look at the fact that we are all here on this planet at this moment in time. And this is an amazing time to be alive because we have a reset button that's right in front of us. And the question is, are we gonna hit it? Are we going to take the responsibility of saying, that this is, you know, what the Medici's were to papal Italy, you know. Things had to change, and they had to change, and they were going to change, and that doesn't mean that change didn't have abrasion and friction and all that kind of stuff. But we had the Renaissance, and we had the Renaissance because a few people said, we are not going to live under the tyranny of corruption forever, And what we're going to do is we're going to start celebrating life, and we're going to start celebrating liberty, and we're going to start celebrating free thought and education, and we're going to start celebrating the aesthetic. And the fact of the matter is, every single tyranny that humanity has faced has always been born of projected apathy, and it has always fallen based on the overaccumulation of greed. So the good news is we are here exactly where we should be to actually hit the reset. And I'm part of the reset. You're part of the reset. Our conversation is part of the reset. So guess what? It's not hope, it's certainty. I love that
0: answer. And, you know, I feel like if there's one solution that people see, they're gonna, they're gonna move towards it. I loved your analogy at the end of uh, London Reel of just like moving toward a a sweeter sound, you know, a nicer. And that's what people want. We want collaboration, we want to uh, build a better world. I look at like ancient Atlantis, if that existed, and I'm like, that sounds amazing. Like, what about just peace? and when i you know study with the native american elders that's what they would say to me often they would yeah. say the next upgrade for for you guys is peace just to be yeah. peaceful and imagine you know if we lived in a world where you know team china and team usa collaborated you know and they were like we weren't we weren't just for money and greed and power we actually worked together but the nice thing is we don't need our governments to tell us to cooperate we can right. cooperate on our own that's so, exactly right and so my question to you is um, do you think that the governmental system we have or you have in the, in the states um, can function with the existence of these big uh, corporate powers and even um, the technology like Facebook and all of those people and influences, they came out of nowhere fast. When yeah. you acquire a billion dollars, it changes things quite quickly. I have a very wealthy friend and uh, one of his mentors is a billionaire and he said, what changes when you reach a billion? And he goes, bring your harpoon gun. And I said, what does that mean? He goes, it's a whole nother world. You can, you can buy whole newspapers. Didn't Steve Jobs' daughter buy uh, one of the, new, the whole newspaper and then you can use it for political gain and people yeah. just can't wrap their head around like that can happen, but that is what's happening and we need to be able to see through that so we can make better choices together.
1: Well, so here's an interesting, here's an interesting little puzzle. Um, Every tyrant that has ever existed on this planet has always used the subtle art of the control of the narrative. Um, t- tyranny doesn't start with you know, overt madness and oppression and, and violence. Tyranny starts with this series of subtle trades. And so if we go and we look at kind of what's going on with us, you know, for the last 35 years, we've been trading on this notion that the internet was this kind of free thing, like it just was free. And, and we just kind of went with it. And we we're like, oh, you know, we used to send mail, now we send email. Oh, we used to, you know, go to the library, now we search online. And, and somehow or another it felt like it was free, but there's this little tiny gnawing sense in our head going, how did it? like how did that happen? Like how did all of this stuff, like when I sent an email, Like, how did that feel like it was free? But it wasn't, because I know that somebody had to pay for the infrastructure. Somebody had to pay for the switches and the routers and the optical fibers and all that kind of stuff. But we kind of were left in this world of going, oh, well, we're using it because it's free. Here's the funny thing, Matt. It isn't free. It never was. What we're doing right now is we are actually having the cost extracted from 35 years of uncontemplated delusion that this was free there is no question that the defense department and the intelligence agencies that set up arpanet which became darpanet which became the internet were the architects of this amazing idea which said hey what if we give everybody the access to put all of their information about their life about their relationships about about their networks of people what if we gave People a platform in which they could be seduced into believing that it was free guess what we'd get we would get a map of every human relationship we'd get a map of every trade we get a map of every contemplated action we would get a map of all sorts of things and we're sitting here now going oh i feel like our privacy has been invaded no it hasn't Are you really dumb enough to look at the financial statements of Facebook and Google and all of these companies and look at the mysterious hundreds of millions of dollars that just showed up out of nowhere? You know, Facebook was a bad dating app. And it wasn't even a dating app. It was a perving app. It wasn't even a dating app. It was a perv app built by guys that wanted to prey on women. That app could not and should not have ever made it until federal agencies, which have been well-documented, started pouring amazing amounts of capital in as investors, we were told. But if you go and look at the capital tables, you don't see people that got equity for it, which means that money came in from customers, not from investors. And a customer is getting something in exchange. And the number of people who looked at Facebook's IPO, because I don't know if you remember, but when Facebook went public, there was the other series of platforms like MySpace and like all of the stuff that used to exist in the Yahoo and all of the, you know, kind of the the way back world of, of other social media, which we don't even remember anymore. These are companies that not only had invented everything that we use now called social media, but these are companies that when Facebook was going public, they had to pull their S1 filing. They had to take it out of circulation, add a few billion dollars to buy the intellectual property that they didn't have and then relaunch their S1 filing. And I love the fact that we were one of the only groups on the planet that commented at the time that Facebook was actually a cover-up. Now, we're now finding out, are you ready for this? Facebook is a cover-up. Newsflash, it's not news. It has been and it always was. But the fact of the matter is, when we as a people decide that we are going to jump unconsidered onto a platform that we're told is free, we should hit pause in our collective consciousness and go, what? are the funders getting for this. So just because you can go to BitChute, just because you can go to Parlor, just because you can go to all these other places, I'm still telling you, if you don't ask the question, and the question bites you in the ass down the road, do not be surprised by your ass being bitten.
0: Well, there's a there's a lot of documentaries coming out now, um, even one on Netflix. And at the end of that, they kind of had their own agenda there. You know, there's one of the hypnosis yeah. techniques where you do 90 10. So you just keep saying the truth to saying the truth. And at the end, boom, that's where they put in their little bit of manipulation. And, you know, when I was looking at what was going on in the world, understanding psychological operations was helpful and like hypnotic patterns and how yeah. that was run because they're incredibly powerful. They They work oh, yeah. really well. And so one of the amazing things with the social media is we're giving all our information freely. They, you know, yeah. have, there's so much information. They don't even have to ask. We're just giving it away freely. Um, so I wanted to kind of pivot to the financial system. Some people say that the financial system is going to crash, like it's doomed. And I look at the financial system. It seems like the modern form of slavery does you know, there seems to be over taxation. A lot of people have a lot. A lot of people don't have enough. They don't have the opportunity. But when you look at the world, and you see United States, it is the land of opportunity. You can work and you can grow. In China, I've been in China, I've lived in China. They already have the, uh, the social app where if you're basically not a good citizen, um, you can't travel, things like yeah. that. It's, it's a terrifying place to be. They don't have Facebook, they don't have YouTube. I remember I was training with Shaolin monks at the time and there was a translator because they, they didn't speak English. And I just asked her about Buddhism because I'd been uh, meditating with monks in Nepal. Uh, Not Tibet, because I couldn't go there because China took it over, and they still have it. Um, And when I asked her a religious question, because it seemed different there, she had a visible visible fear come over her body. They don't talk about politics. They don't talk about religion. It's terrifying. And so when I look at the agenda that's being put out by uh, Rockefeller, you you can look at the – future scenarios document um, with the vaccine uh, ID chip, ID 2020, the COVID passport. It's all written out. They talk about it in the past, even with the UN um, and moving forward. So it can be a little bit uh, frightening. Well, it's terrifying. And so I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on the financial system and, and what would be an upgraded way to move forward? If we lived in a world that made sense and where we are trading on fairness, can we use the system that we have now or do you think it, it does have to crash in a way?
1: Well, if you go back to the uh, probably the Knights Templar um, and you realize that at the inception, the concept of the representational monetary system, and by that I just mean having – notes and demand notes and, and, um, you know, kind of the bear bonds and all of the things which basically say that this is a representational currency, meaning that I don't actually have a chest of gold, I have a note that says that I have a chest of gold, and I can trade the note that has a chest of gold. And, and, and the cool thing is, you know, in Islam, In early Christianity, in in the medieval periods, pre-medieval periods and medieval periods of Europe, what you have is this innovation of representational monetary systems, where we've gone from a physical commodity like gold or silver or or grains or whatever else to this representational note-based currency. And, And the problem that was instituted within the very foundation of our current concept of money was the absence of transparency. You know, it was after the end of the Second World War when the, when the, the, um, when the premier of Germany the, um, was asked whether or not the German Deutsche Mark would come back. And he made the statement that the German mark will resurge because of the full faith and confidence of the German industrial mentality. Now, what does that mean? That means there is nothing. It's not based on something. It's based on the full faith and confidence of a communal agreement around a thing. And this is, by the way, after Germany's been bombed to oblivion, right? So if you're going to have faith and confidence in the industrial output of a country where the entire infrastructure has been bombed to bits, that's an amazing statement. But the fact of the matter is, within 10 years, the Deutsche Mark had come back with an amazing amount of resilience. And what was that about? That was about the collective consciousness saying, we are standing behind this. Now, fast forward to 1971. And in 1971, when the world started asking the fundamental question, does the US have an economy that we count on going forward? The answer came back, no. And a bunch of European countries decided to redeem their gold notes. And that gave rise to, you know, Nixon saying, we're going to go off the gold standard. So so the current monetary system as we know it died in 1971. So when I hear people say, well, what's the future of the system? That's like asking, what's the future of a corpse? And the answer is it'll be compost and then it'll go back into the earth and then it'll come back as a tree or a bush or a flower. We have to get to a very different place with respect to the way in which we transact the currency of value exchange. And here's the bottom line. The bottom line is we can't fix the broken system that we currently have, because the broken system we currently have, as incarnated by 1913 with the Federal Reserve, was based on the actuarial tables of death. The reason why we have a 30 year mortgage, the reason why we have a 30 year treasury is because at the turn of the last century, the average life expectancy of the blue collar worker was 30 years. That's why we have 30 years. We have a system that was premeditated and built on the death of a human being. And the deal was, we will make your life barely tolerable enough that you'll play the game. You'll work for the factory, you'll work for the field, you'll work for the whatever else. And just on the eve of you retiring, we're pretty sure you're gonna die. The great news is we're gonna sell you term life insurance policies that expire a year or two before we know you're gonna die. And the great news is that means we get to pocket all your money. But the deal will be, we'll pay off your debts where your beneficiary is going to be the bank. And so the bank and the insurance and the bank and the insurance became indelibly imprinted on each other where the current monetary system is a forward actuarial bet on your death. Now, if we called our current monetary system, what it is, a forward actuarial bet on your death, not one of us would go, oh, yeah, let's see if we can resuscitate that. That's a horrible thing. But we don't call it what it is. We call it a monetary system, and we come up with all kinds of nonsensical you know, theories about it and what inflation should or shouldn't be and what tax rates should or shouldn't be. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is we have to account for our impact on the earth. You know, oil is not free. It doesn't start in the ground free oil is a biological kind of anthropomorphic process of how we go through an entire experience of taking a thing that's been there in the ground for millions of years or hundreds of thousands of years. This notion that Adam Smith put in place, which was that that nature and natural resources start as free and value is only in the extraction and the value alteration of free, that model is self-evidently false. We have to account for the real cost of everything that we do, and the current monetary system doesn't do that. We still have 1776 Adam Smith Wealth of Nations foolishness driving our economic theory And then our monetary system is an actuarial table on death. Now, I'm going to submit to anybody, if you were told the truth of our monetary system, which I just did, would you want that to persist? And would you even have the impulse to say, oh, surely we can fix it? No, because the two foundations on which it's built are so fundamentally antithetical to humanity and antithetical to everything that is value, that you don't fix it. What you do do is you recognize that we have to stop counting on governments, we have to stop counting on pensions, we have to stop counting on corporations as though they are somehow the more responsible adult to our teenage opulence and indifference. And if we start standing in our own strength and say, no, you know what? I'm accountable. I'm accountable for how I live today. I'm accountable for how I live tomorrow. And are you ready for this? I'm going to live within my means. If We're willing to do that. We don't have a world that's shot. We don't have cultures that are destroyed. We don't have the stupidness of a Rio Tinto whose CEO can blow up a 40,000 year old archive of Aboriginal art in Australia and think that it's okay by just saying, I'm sorry, 40,000 years of Aboriginal art blown up and he thinks I'm sorry is the answer? No, I'm sorry is not the answer. Wiping humanity's footprint off the earth isn't addressed by saying I'm sorry, but we're living in a world where we accept a financial system where that's perfectly okay. It's not okay. We're going to create something different.
0: Wow. Well, that's definitely the answer I was hoping for. Um, You know, when I look at, even now when you look at uh, some of the players that were at uh, Event 201, one of them is the World Economic Forum, and they have this interactive map. You need to log into their site. You go into this interactive map of basically the global reset, all planned out. You know, if this wasn't planned, why do they have this master plan that has every single thing that you can imagine accounted for? And what I'm observing is, you know, however they're working the psychological operations working brilliantly. People, this is, this is amazing. There's, there's very little resistance. Now there's some popping up here and there, but it's kind of shocking once all the data comes out and it's like, Hey, you said on one of your shows, it was about 90% off the projections for what actually happens, about 90% off. Um, there's so many questions I have. I guess with, um, with China potentially manufacturing the virus, one of the things that I heard is like the second wave, they might actually release something. You found and exposed in pandemic 2 that there are patents filed. Now, for clarity, there was coronavirus patents filed, but when they use COVID-19, are they the same thing? Are they different? Are they trying to do something with the wording?
1: Yeah, so, so we have to remember that you know, when, when I went to school, and and you know studied genetics, and studied biology. We knew that there were kingdoms, and phylums, and classes, and orders, and families, and genus, and species. And what we didn't know then was that under species, there are other things, which are subspecies, and then clades, and then subclades, and then subclade-clades, and subclades-subclades. Uh, subclades. And, and the funny thing is, we didn't realize that those were there for a bunch of reasons, not the least of which is because they're kind of doctor Seussish At a certain level, you can make up a new classification. And when you make up a new classification, you can make it anything you want it to be. So let's start in 1999. We start messing in the US and in China, we start messing with recombinant viruses in multiple strains of coronavirus. So we start putting coronaviruses together. 1999, we start filing patents on them in 1999. And we start filing patents on how you can manipulate them and how you can change the surface proteins so that they are increasing their virulence and increasing their ability to go into cells. And lo and behold, three years later, we have SARS. Now, species beta coronavirus, species coronavirus, but subspecies beta coronavirus was what came out of the manipulation of coronavirus, and it manifests in 2002, 2003 as SARS, C-O-V. Now, here's the tiny little fact. The tiny little fact is we didn't have the severe acute respiratory syndrome until three years after humans were messing with coronavirus. It didn't exist, we started messing with it, and then it did exist. Now, let's be really clear on what I'm saying. Am I saying that SARS came from a lab? No, I'm not. What I am saying is SARS didn't exist before humans started manipulating coronavirus. That's what I'm saying. Because the possibility exists that the dudes that were in the lab went into bat caves, sampled bat caves, and the people might have infected the bats. We don't know, right? This notion that only goes one way, it only could have come from bats to people, is ludicrous. The fact of the matter is, it could have easily been a researcher going into a cave, infecting the bats, the bats mutate the genes, they mutate the virus, and then we get an upscaled version of something coming from bats. But let's start with the facts. The facts are that we didn't have SARS until three years after we messed with coronavirus. That's a fact. Now, here's the other fact. For the coronavirus subclade to be called SARS, which is kind of important, because SARS is a subclade of coronavirus, for it to be called SARS, it has to first be SARS. And SARS coronavirus is a subclade, and SARS-CoV-2 is a sub of that subclade, which means that it is, and this is based on simple mathematics rules. The subset is part of the set. The set is SARS-CoV-2, SARS-CoV-2 is a subset of the set. Just like Wuhan Institute of Virology, CoV-1, which was identified in 2013, is a subset. These are all part of a bigger set of manipulated viruses. And that manipulation can be lab manipulated as we saw in 2013, 2016 during the illegal acts taken by the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease under the direction of Anthony Fauci and implemented by Ralph Barrick, The violation of the NIH rules where gain of function was supposed to stop and they kept it going and they kept it going on the Wuhan virus. So anybody telling me that this was somehow not possible to come from a lab is full of it. Because the fact of the matter is, the synthetic chimeric mutation of the Wuhan virus mixed with coronavirus was done in labs between 2013 and 2016. And it's very well published and it's patented and we know that. Here's the problem that I have with the really fundamental fact pattern that people aren't dealing with, which is the end of March, 2019, when Moderna modified four patent applications and in their modification of the patent applications, they make reference to the fact that coronavirus as a lethal respiratory pathogen may be released. And they said in their patent application, vaccine development was initiated. Now you heard the the operative verb, was initiated. If you wrote that you knew that a deliberate release of a respiratory pathogen was coming, you knew it was coronavirus and you started vaccine development on March the 28th, 2019, which inconveniently is about eight and a half months before the alleged natural escape of bat coronavirus in a wet market in China, something is self-evidently wrong with the picture. Now, there is no question that what they wrote on March 28th, 2019 was what they wrote. And there's no question that their writing in March of 2019 was echoed by the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, Anthony Fauci, China's CDC, and Bill Gates's Dr. Elias, recited by them in September, the deliberate release of respiratory pathogen. Those phrases show up in March, they show up again in September, they show up back at event 201, and then in December we allegedly have a new thing. That is BS. And it's so self-evidently BS that you can't even imagine the level of stupidity that's required to assume that that was all coincidental happenstance. Particularly, the Moderna statement that says vaccine development was initiated—that statement is a damning piece of evidence.
0: Yeah, it, you know the the evidence that that this was planned is enormous. You know. Yeah. there's so much hard evidence from multiple organizations and there is a money trail. And so when you start looking at it and you see it, it's the all roads lead to the same place. And many people have been saying what you're saying. You're not the only one. There's a lot of researchers. When they look at it, they find it, they find the exact same things and then they see where we want to go. And is there a reason? Is there a reason? How does Bill Gates pop up and and say, we're going to vaccinate the entire planet. Um, you know, a month into a global pandemic, quote unquote, that he predicted uh five years before, you know, and then even Fauci um saying something along the lines of this administration's gonna experience a surprise pandemic. How do you experience a surprise pandemic? It's not a surprise then, you know it's coming, you can prepare for it. So the evidence is is everywhere. And my question is, if we can follow that evidence and we see that there are big global players, you know and you call it the corporations kind of influencing, influencing things. And, you know, Dwight Eisenhower in his speech basically warned about this. He said, you know, we have these medical establishments and these scientific establishments. That's really great. And he says it a lot more eloquent than this, but we also need to be aware of that centralized power because if that gets into the wrong hands, they can use it for influence and maybe they even start out good. And like you said, you give them the benefit of the doubt for a bit. Then all of a sudden, like, whoops, like this is going to be very damaging for a lot of people that's going to only benefit a few. And so we look at the elections coming up. And a lot of it seems, you know, one of the things that I thought was like, man, it looks like the states is getting is under attack, because your your middle class is getting destabilized. There was a report called the Iron Mountain, they say, I don't know if it existed, it's a legit report or not. But allegedly by Kennedy, if we achieved peace in USA, uh, what threats will we face? And it talks about um, certain scenarios that you would go through, and you look at uh, the the Rockefeller Future Scenarios document. You're in the you're literally in the lockstep of a released virus with, and, and this is how they played it out in Event 201 as a as well. And so when it when we're coming up to an election year right now, now you're looking at mail-in ballots. And there's no debates. And, and the other thing with this, in a democracy, you have debates. Where was the educated debates on masks? Where's the educated debates on vaccines? If you look at the debate, versus uh, Kennedy versus uh, Dershowitz, he destroys them. Because Kennedy is on facts and truth and wanting more information. And Dershowitz, I think he maybe even just did it just to, to expose that. Because there's, there's no ground to stand on. There's no reason for this. And he exposes all of it when you have that. And so... I guess my question is, what do you think is going on? Because I, I even saw Trump address the UN and he essentially calls out China. And this was a few days ago saying, hey, we're aware of what you're doing. And a lot of the world is. I worked on um, organ har- uh, exposing forced organ harvesting that's been going on in China for over 20 years, specifically targeting fallen Dafa practitioners, going into jail, you lose all your rights and they're, they're killing people. They've been doing this for 20 years and I only found out maybe four or five years ago. And I was like, oh my God. Um, and then to keep going into human trafficking and some people talk about pedophilia pedophilia rings. Uh, one of the ex-prime ministers in uh, Australia is implicated with solid evidence. You're yeah. now aware of like, well, you probably knew him before, but Sasha Stone and communicated with him. So it's a lot of ramble to say there's a lot of evil stuff. And, and how do you think that that plays into the election now and and will that will that really affect, depending on the winner, what will happen in USA or around the world? Or do you think that that's not going to matter as much?
1: Well, so so you know, if we sit back and, and really examine what's happening, the, the great news is that that certainly since the 1960s, and the question would be pretty fair to ask even before that, but since the 1960s, um, We have not had a democracy in the United States. We have had a corporatocracy, and there is no question that that came about when we changed the ways in which we allowed the transparency of economic interest to get increasingly opaque. So much so that by now, the average seated member of our Congress or the average presidential campaign Goes from tens of millions to billions of dollars as the cost of admission, which means that you have to sell yourself to be in the public sphere. You know, we do not have grassroots campaigns. We do not have, as much as Bernie Sanders wants to be held up as the, oh, he was the, you know, he was the people's candidate. No, he wasn't. He was serving a series of agendas like all of them are serving a series of agendas. Nobody has had the audacity save Michael Bloomberg and Michael Bloomberg actually did make a very interesting foray by saying, hey, I'm really rich and I'm gonna fund my own campaign. Now, you also know that it wasn't money and that's the cool thing about Michael Bloomberg's campaign. It proved that money isn't enough. You have to have dirt on somebody too. You have to have the ability to not just buy their soul, you have to have their soul in an iron trap. And it turns out that no matter what is going on right now, the number of individuals who are compromised into the positions of manipulated leadership far exceed the number of people who are actually in leadership because they deserve it or the public could fairly place confidence. Nothing could be further from the evidence of that with respect to what people thought than where you know you look at New Zealand and and there was this fawning all over Jacinda about how she's an amazing prime minister amazing prime minister and then you find out that she sold the country to gavi and to the gates foundation for a bowl of porridge and you're sitting there going hold on a minute this was the savior of the world and and you look at other saviors of the world world economic forum is full of it look at look at what happened with Paul Kagame in in Rwanda. And here's this guy who's the model of the future of, of African leadership, only to find out that if you actually push very far, you find out that he was very involved in the political assassinations that got him to the presidency. So, oops, there's that problem. No matter where you turn right now, Matt, we've got a fundamental issue. And the fundamental issue is we, the people, have surrogated our lives and our fortunes to individuals who have sold their souls for the 30 pieces of silver where we are as a society right now and this is not unique to the united states because it's happening all over the world what we must do is we must recognize that the political system that was put in place and then hijacked by corporate donations that are opaque and not disclosing their interests whether it is and and let's look let's let's keep it a broad brush right now Right now, right now, in Bougainville, Papua New Guinea, which is the autonomous region of Bougainville, which was carved out in 1967 as its own autonomous region, the presidential election just took place. A new president has just been selected in the last two days. Immediately, people started saying, we must bring the UN in to help figure out how to organize the next phase of the autonomous region of Bougainville's government. Now, little trip down memory lane, the reason why Papua New Guinea is Papua New Guinea and the reason why Bougainville was the site of the corporate-based genocide promulgated by Rio Tinto and Bougainville Copper Limited, the reason why all that happened was in 1967 the government of Australia under the protectorship of the United Nations was awarded Bougainville, Bougainville Copper Limited, one of the largest copper assets on the planet, they were awarded it for the trouble of administering Papua New Guinea after the Second World War. Now, I've lived in Papua New Guinea. I have tons of family and friends in Papua New Guinea. I love Papua New Guinea. And I'll tell you what, Australia didn't have any trouble administering Papua New Guinea. But the UN divvied up the Pacific and gave Australia the largest then measured copper reserve on the planet. Turns out that by 1989, the people felt like they were being screwed. You know why they felt like they were being screwed? Because they were being screwed. That's why they felt like it. And there was a civil war, 20,000 people lost their lives, corporate genocide, nobody debates that. The only reason why Bougainville didn't ultimately end up on the genocide list is because Rio Tinto and Bougainville copper were found to be guilty of genocide, but they were tried in the wrong venue. So they got their charges thrown out. So they really did get convicted of genocide. They actually just had charges dismissed. This UN, the UN that sanctioned genocide, the UN that sanctioned the giving away of a whole country and its entire population, that UN is now being insinuated into the autonomous Bougainville election. And you sit there going, hold on a minute, Just stop. The fact that the UN even has a role to play other than to being held accountable for genocide should be the end of the conversation. But we don't even think about it. And do you realize that what I'm talking about right now, you haven't read about in newspapers, you haven't read about on any mainstream media, you haven't seen on television, you haven't seen anywhere. You know why? Because it turns out that the shareholders of Bougainville Copper and the shareholders of Rio Tinto and the shareholders of the shareholders that own the funds that own Rio Tinto all don't want you to hear this. And the worst part about it is that the average person with a 401k in the U.S. or a pension or a superannuation in Canada or any of the Commonwealth countries is a shareholder of the company that is actually doing all this. See, the problem is the tentacles go out. So when you say, oh my gosh, we should hold them accountable. They look back at you and go, ha ha ha, you are us. Here's the nefarious piece of this. This is why we have to put the economic conversation and the control conversation together. If you are a passive shareholder in a pension, if you are a passive shareholder in an endowment, or if you're a passive shareholder in any retirement scheme, You are a shareholder in a company that was doing genocide. This is not something where we can just go, well, it's too far away. I don't know where Papua New Guinea is. I don't know where Bougainville is. I don't know where any of those things are. So I'll leave it to the company. I will leave it to the United Nations. I will leave it to elected officials. No. If COVID is going to teach us anything, it must teach us to wake up And be accountable for that which is done in our name. And it doesn't matter whether that's an elected official. It doesn't matter if that's a corporate organization. It doesn't matter if it's a nonprofit or a philanthropy or anything else. We must be alert and accountable. And that is the single message that should come out of this. And we, if we want to have a different future, must take the responsibility for taking that future back. Wow,
0: beautifully said. Very well put. And uh, extremely depressing. You know, <laughs> like it's you know it, when you it's so it's so crazy because there are so many atrocities that go on on the planet that people are completely unaware of. And I did a podcast with Alex Sakaris, who is skeptical podcast, and it's pretty big. And he's definitely a skeptical guy. And after our conversation it kind of tilted him to question COVID a bit more. He was on the fence. He's like, no, the resources you sent me, I looked into it. Now I definitely know that there's something up. But one of the things he said on my podcast was so interesting. It was a great, great podcast. But I talked to him. I, I said, yeah, you know, I think that people can live their life from like right livelihood, something that they enjoy doing. Um, and And it helps others. And he was kind of giving me pushback on that, which I thought was hilarious because 10 minutes before that, he wrote a book and it's called Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Flubbed a Big One. And he, and he says to me on the podcast, the skeptical guy goes, if we know there are groups of people on the planet that do these rituals where they traumatize children so that it's easier for an entity to take over their body, we need to figure out if that actually happens or not. And I'm like, Alex, you just said the craziest dark thing I could ever imagine. Right. That I'm kind of aware of, of from human trafficking and the occult and stuff like that. And you're giving me crap about making a like being successful in something you're passionate about. I was like, what is going on here? Like, it's yeah. it's madness. And so, um, I guess my question to you is like, when you go down these rabbit holes, which I have and sadly, but human trafficking um, and you look at uh, um, out of shadows, they talk about even adrenochrome, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, some of these theories they talk about possibly releasing kids from underground tunnels. I've only heard here say no solid evidence on any of that stuff, but human trafficking tons, 400 million in a human trafficking condition. It has to be organized at yeah. uh, 80,000 kids in the States alone go missing to human trafficking. That has to be organized at high levels. And yeah. there is very good evidence of a lot of people in power, Hollywood influence um, doing things like this and their psychology is not like ours. They don't think like we do and sure. it's 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 a very threatening thing but it's so dark. And I know that when the average person starts to look at this and and put pieces of the puzzle together because the evidence is there like even in Canada, you know, Trudeau is our our president, his best friend is in jail for pedophilia, you know? Right. Um we have human trafficking problem at our ports. He's changing. We're defunding support for human traffickers in Canada while he's his his, his uh, own private charity is is profiting and so it's like this is this is documented and obvious and so my question is have you gone down those rabbit holes as well and do you do you know if there's any solutions because for me when i when i was there and some of the people i know going into it it's crippling it's like you can't even imagine it's real and the kind of follow-up question is if i know how do i provide the solution like the reason why I'm so grateful that you exist is because you know of the evil crap and you can do something about it and prevent it. And for me and a lot of other people you hear about it as like, I don't want people to starve to death. I don't want people to be in human trafficking conditions. And then look, there's all the evidence for this person who should be brought to justice or at least made an inquiry about who is doing that. You know, why is this happening? You know? So uh, it can be, uh, you know, what do you, what do you suggest for, for people that, uh, I guess, discover that stuff? And what do you know about those fields of information?
1: Well, so, so that's probably a whole nother um, interview. But, but let's, let's make some high-level observations first. Um, somewhere along the line, and by the way, this was sponsored not by, you know, some sort of modern creation. Right. This has been around in the human story for a very long time. Um, the whole principle of prima nocta, which was the the lord of the manor or the or the monarch having the right to the bride before she got married. Right. Was was pedophilia for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. We, we came up with a Latin name for it. So it sounds more innocuous and it sounds more innocent, but it wasn't. This was the defilement of a monarch, of every woman that he wanted to take advantage of. And most of the women that he was taking advantage of were little girls. Um, We have a system that the entire British colonial system was built on, which was a system based entirely on principles of the defilement of and the subjugation of children, the subjugation and defilement of women for the sake of those reinforcing their illusions of power. So we have a really big problem that is actually endemic throughout our leadership structures and throughout our illusions of power. We have a system where the way in which a person is selected is by their ability to oppress. And that, by the way, look at what happened with Cardinal Pell in Australia. Look at what's happened throughout the Catholic Church and the sex scandals in the Catholic Church. Look what happens in mining enterprises all over the world where you have open and shut evidence in financial statements of things called hospitality houses. You know what those are? Those are not brothels, they're sex slavery facilities. And if you look at the financial statements of an enormous number of the mining and extractive industry companies around the world, Those are actually published in their financial statements. And you know who gives a rip? No one. No one. No one. You just sit there and you ask the question, when do we actually decide we're going to care? Because the fact of the matter is, there is now an entire generation of people in leadership who think that the way in which they become leaders is by the predation on children, the predation on women, and the subjugation of those who they think are less than themselves. I'm gonna tell you where you start. You start by doing an internal examination. And the internal examination is a very simple question. Where am I taking advantage of someone I've decided is less than? I'm going to tell you something that blows people's minds. People sit there going, oh, well, you know, you, you, you made it on Plandemic and you made it on, you know, Brian Rose and you made it on this. Why are you doing this podcast with this person who has 300 followers or 200 followers? Well, the answer is. Because that's what I choose to do. I choose to look at every human being as a sovereign and sanctified being. I look at you. And I acknowledge the fact that but for you and our conversation several months ago, there's a high probability I wouldn't have been on pandemic. When is it OK for me to forget you? When is it OK for me to say you're no longer important because I'm now trading in this other league? And, and I'm telling you what, Matt, this is the insidious nature of abuse. We, we have these gray scales where we put ourselves into a hierarchy of how important are you, how not important are you, et cetera, et cetera. The first thing we must do is address that in our own lives. We have to get to the place where we acknowledge any place where we have decided hierarchy means someone else is not important and we need to root that out. But then we need to do the next step. And the next step is not just the internal check on that, but starting to look at how we treat our families, how we treat our spouses, how we treat our own children, how we treat the children of others. And as we go through this, as we unwind the layers of the onion, we realize that only when we can actually hold ourselves to account for the fact that I can confidently say right now, there is not an unimportant person in my world, not an unimportant person. And I know that the way I treat others is with respect and dignity until they have chosen the path of inhumanity. And then even then, I'm not harming them. I'm simply calling out their actions as what their actions are. Because ultimately, if we are going to hold individuals accountable for the abuses that are happening, the sex trafficking, and the abuses, and the ritualistic practices that are absolutely predatory and harmful, if we're going to hold ourselves accountable, then we can hold others accountable. But the minute we carve out a section of our population, we go, oh, they don't really matter then the problem is you lose the authentic integrity to have the conversation where it does matter. And I would love to make sure that we all know that if we are going to have the ability of ultimately reverencing the purity of children, if we are going to ultimately reverence the elegant supremacy of the relationships that exist with sexual relationships between individuals, if we are going to get to a place where we fully understand all of the beauty and elegance of the way the natural order was in fact established. It starts and it will finish with our ability to live our own reflection of our own values. Absolutely. No exceptions, no caveats, right? I'll give you an example as a father. I made a commitment when my kids were born that I would never strike them in anger. Never. Now, All kinds of people have all kinds of different reasons why they think that punishing is a good or a bad thing. And I'm not even getting in on that conversation. I know that I wanted to go through the entirety experience of being a father, knowing that I showed my kids the respect and the sovereignty I felt they deserved. You know what? I did that because I experienced a very different childhood. And I knew that getting onto a slippery slope where you can say, I, as an adult, have the ability to suppress you as a child through whatever means that is, was something I did not want to propagate. And it turns out, I didn't. You know how easy the decision was? Super easy. Don't do it. And the cool thing about making decisions like that, owning your own personal responsibility and then living that responsibility out through others, the cool thing about making that decision is once it's made, it's made. You don't think about it anymore. And what I say when I talk to people about the sex trafficking, because I have done, and a lot of people don't know this, but I've done an enormous amount of work with post-abuse survivors and an enormous, enormous amount of women who have gone through sex trafficking, prostitution, you know, all kinds of things. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women that I have worked directly with. One of the things that I have seen in every instance is that the individuals who often are exposed to the most egregious abuses were first and foremost welcomed into the world by a family that also did not actively care. We address the issues of abuse and neglect and sex trafficking and a bunch of other things, starting off by examining how we treat our children, our nieces, our nephews, our kids, their network. And the fact of the matter is, I think that there are a lot more and it's the bad news and the good news. Bad news is, I think there are a lot more cases of abuse than we are willing to even contemplate. But the good news is the solution is easier than I think most people think. If we have a zero tolerance policy for the domination of another human being, and we live in a way where it is a zero tolerance policy, then we have the credibility of saying to the elected person who is compromised, you cannot represent me. And rather than overlooking it and going, well, it was an indiscretion when they were in college, or it was an indiscretion when they were here, or an indiscretion, no. Somewhere along the line, we were sold a bill of goods that to be a politician meant that you were already corrupted and newsflash. That's a lie. We don't have to keep pro- promulgating that lie. We can actually hold people to a higher standard, but we can only hold them to a higher standard when we commit to holding ourselves to that standard. And that means, no domination, no dominion over, and no oppression of.
0: Wow! Holy smokes! Well, very well put. Uh, very informative. I wish I could ask you questions all day because it's exactly what I could hope for. Just uh, so much information, um, negative, and and so <laughs> like you know when I when I see the problems of the world is negative, but at least you you provide solutions. And so I wanted to ask you about like. ETS and stuff like that, too. So we'll save that for another day because I'm sure I could ask you I want to ask you basically everything I'm curious about ancient civilizations and get really into the weird stuff But I wanted to focus on what is probably most important at this time right now. So thank you so much for your time Uh, The final question is just the message that you have for people, you know, you are optimistic, you know, I, I think earlier in the podcast and what you've been saying on London real, it it is a message of optimism and how, you know, tyranny basically will eventually come to light. But I guess if you have any final thoughts and where people can find you.
1: Well, listen, Matt, I, I I am so grateful. I've said to a number of people and they find this somewhat mysterious. I'm so grateful COVID hit. Um, I have developed the most amazing network of the most beautiful souls because the one thing this has unmasked is those people who are ready and willing to stand for the light and man if you wanted to have a worldwide spotlight where the bat signal went up and freaking everybody went i got my cape i know how to respond and you know everybody showed up at the same park. this was perfect we have in a period of less than nine months think about this matt In a period of nine months, the most improbable people from around the world have found that they can stand together against every bit of tyranny and oppression. And it turns out that even though at times we find ourselves flagging in our own strength, we know we can look to somebody who's kicking it. And we know that, you know what, I'm having an off day, but man, all I have to do is look over here at Cordy Williams, or I look at Amani Mamalushin, or I look at Sasha Stone, or I look at, you know... Um, you know, Dr. Look, you know, Zach Bush, I mean, the poet of, the, of, of this whole thing, right? If, if I have one thing to say, freaking look at the not glass half full, look at the glass overflowing, right? This is a glass overflowing. The number of people who knew that there was a goodness within them where COVID has been the fan to that flame, and now it's burning brightly. I sit there and I tell people time and time again, it is the greatest gift we could have had because it is in fact the clarion call that has called forth the greatest of humanity. And I love that we now know who each other is. So A, good on you for doing it and amazing. And I'm so grateful that you're out there. I'm grateful I'm out there. I'm grateful for all of the people who are out there. And the second thing I would point out is that if we were in Sparta, and we heard that the persian army a million strong was marching towards us and we went to hell gates at thermopylae and we knew there were only 300 of us and we had the audacity to stand as 300 against a million and realized that the 300 against a million was not about odds it was about heart it was about conviction And it was about the certainty that whether you or I make it to the other side of that campaign, what I know is that the phalanx that I stand in will not break. And I may fall and you may fall, but this won't fall. Humanity prevails. It always has, and it always will. You know, you can read in the Old Testament, I love to call people's attention, all all of my all of my Bible believing friends out there, I, I, I remind them that roughly about the end of Moses and aaron and and you know kind of the 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 beginning of of the kind of the emergence of the story of Israel, people just stop reading the book. but But that's a shame because there's a whole bunch of little books that are the end of the old testament in the, in the in the Bible, right? And and a bunch of those little books are over and over and over and over again stories that are basically the same story. The great news is you don't have to read them because they're all the same story. Shit happens. People fall away. You know, despot kings rise up. All kinds of terrible things happen. A prophet comes along and goes, oh, my God, this is really shitty. And they say all their doom and gloom and they wear sackcloth and ashes and they eat locusts and they do whatever they're doing. And, and and basically, they get to a despondent place where they go, oh, my God, I'm the only one. And and somewhere along the line in the story, God whispers down and goes, nope, there's always a remnant. And there will always be a remnant. And there will always be good people and just freaking get out of your doldrums. And then you get like books like Jeremiah, where you have 10 or 15 or 20 like near-death experiences where he's willing to just bag it. He's saying, I'm done. You know, that everything is bad. Everything's going to hell. This is all shitty. And, 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 and all the time, there's this echo that comes back. Nah, just hold on, dude. Like, I know it's a tough day for you, but like, there's always a remnant of people. So the message that I have tonight is very simple. We are 300 strong against the army of the Persians. There is no war rhino that can break the spirit that is now locked arm in arm across this globe. And when we stand together, as much as people want to latch on to this story that somehow this one is the one that got too big, this is the one that got away, the answer is, that's what the Persians thought. And then they met 300 at Thermopylae. And you know what? The heart of 300 beats louder than the tyranny of the millions.
0: Wow, beautifully said, makes me feel good uh, <laughs> I appreciate you and your work and um you know you're putting up Butterfly of the week. you've been doing it for a while, so where can people stay up to date with everything you're doing? you know your the way you disseminate the information' is amazing. I hope that uh more of the bigger shows get you you know we're hoping for Joe rogan to uh, you know to host <laughs> okay, so, so, um, good, so.
1: yeah listen we're we're up on David Martin world on YouTube. We've been up all of our videos are up um. We, we um, that's a that's a conversation you and I will have when we're sitting face to face. So you get an idea of how that's happening. Um, but yeah, we're up on we're up on David Martin world uh, David Martin dot world online. Um, my last butterfly of the week that I just did today with Kim. Uh, we talk about the fact we got a bunch of events coming up. We've got um, Albany, New York, actually outside of Albany, New York uh, this weekend. Um, which is a a great group of people that are getting together to have a conversation about how to deal with what's happening in the state of New York. Um, The week after next, I'm gonna be down at Jekyll Island, the birthplace of the Federal Reserve, Jekyll Island, Georgia, um, at the Red Pill Expo. Uh, G. Edward Griffin and great group of people are getting together there. There's gonna be a lot of time for people to connect there. Um, One of the great things about it is G. Edward has made an event that is gonna be a great opportunity To rub shoulders with and have these kind of conversations late into the night, early into the morning, whatever we need to do. But it's going to be a great time to press the flesh with people, like I said, who are standing together. Um, And then on the following weekend, on the 18th, we have 16, 17, 18, um, we have a um, Liberty Rally uh, that's going to be happening in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, Once again, an amazing group of people getting together. And each one of these is about bringing together people where we stand together, make it very clear that this is not an individual campaign. This is not a Matt Belair, Dave Martin show. This is about all of us standing together, working together, making sure that the voice of humanity does not fall silent. Um, And those things are happening. And you know what? I, uh, I look forward to the next time we get together, Matt. I look forward to the conversation about what my wife likes to call the ifs, not ETs, the ifs, interplanetary friends. One of the great things, if you know Kim at all, what you know about Kim is she loves to assume that what is out there is good and sparkles and is awesome. And the (laughs) whole concept that, you know, the out there other planet things are, or other solar system things or other galaxy things are are somehow terrifying and here to take over the world. You know, in Kim's world, they, they sparkle with her. They're bright. They're shiny. They love to dance. They love eighties music. It's an important (laughs) thing to know. Um, They they love eighties music and, um, and she calls them the ifs, the interplanetary friends. So um, we'll have a conversation about the sparkly ifs next time we get together
0: sounds good sounds real good to me well thank you so much for uh, your work and coming on the show i definitely look forward to uh, staying in touch tell kim i said hi you yeah, had great shirts today so what uh, loving the yeah. butterflies so yeah i look forward to the next chat all
1: right thanks a lot matt take care
0: see you david bye, bye. there you have it guys the absolutely amazing David E. Martin I hope that you enjoyed this show I highly encourage you guys to go follow David Martin on YouTube follow him anywhere he's putting out content listen to the Plandemic 2 documentary you have to search for it on BitChute because it's banned check him out on London Real. Uh, he, he's really doing extraordinary work and we are building community together, finding solutions, finding truth, exposing corruption is a part of it. And so let's do this together as a global family. Highly recommend checking out his work to um, and following his work. He's really on the pulse of so many incredible things. Uh, if you like this episode, please share it as far as you can. Consider leaving a review and becoming a patron. It really helps. Uh, if you want to join the Academy, Would love to see you in there as well. You can find all of that at MattBelair.com or Linktree uh, forward slash MattBelair. You're going to find all the links to the communities in there. Would love to hear from you, have you in the community, and uh, be connected. So, that wraps it up Uh, let's come into a state of peace and clearance oh also the quantum heart journey stuff is coming out soon so you want to sign up for the email list for that because i'm going to be doing exclusive launch offer for only my list and only the uh, patrons and people with my close community so the quantum heart's going to be amazing and there's a lot of other stuff coming out soon just kind of putting all that together mixed with researching and all the fun stuff that goes with podcasting so So make sure you sign up for the email list and uh, stay up to date with all that. So that's uh, that's the last housekeeping. So let's come to a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, inspiration, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.